So this episode is about um, the method of using focus groups. The terminology around focus groups may vary depending on the on the author. And sometimes focus groups are also called group interviews or group discussions. Some authors may make a difference or may differentiate between group discussion and focus groups. And there are some strong arguments of why these are two different things. But I have also seen writing where um, authors just call it focus group discussion. So there is a bit of a hiccup in terms of terminology. For the purpose of our of our course, we are focusing on focus groups in a in a most traditional sense. So um, for the purpose, we um, summarize different approaches to collect data by talking to a group of participants as focus groups. That's what I meant. So uh, the four key differences to explore when starting to think about conducting focus groups are, firstly, choosing or creating the groups, the setting within which they take place, how questions are asked, and how strong the researcher involvement in the actual focus group is. So these are the four things we might want to consider for setting up focus groups. So the first one, how to choose a focus group. There are various arguments you could make for choosing participants. If you're choosing a homogenous or expected homogenous group of people or people who have strong commonality in one area, um, you ensure that they will talk to one another easier and can compare and contrast their experience. It will make it easier to take the researcher out of having to ask questions or prompts. However, it might also easier result in, in a kind of groupthink effect and the group might reach a consensus and thus override more differentiated voices or viewpoints, which is not necessarily a bad thing if you're exploring culture and the strongest discourses that are held in a situation, but it might um, uh, prevent you, sorry, <laughs> I need way more coffee today, it might prevent you from um, from seeing the uh, the slight variations in, in viewpoints and um, and voices that might counter the general argument. So if you choose participants you have um, that have a more diverse experiential background, you might incur encourage more differentiated and rich data. So for instance, while we interviewed um, female members of staff from STEM subjects, there were significant disciplinary differences in and the cultures in the different schools are distinct. So also the participants, they are international. So their experiences and backgrounds, they are, they are quite different in terms of going through the school, getting into university and so on. So these situations can lead to posing new ideas and viewpoints to some participants, which in turn may elicit memories and stories and examples the participants would otherwise not have thought of. You know, when you sometimes talk to someone about your own experience and that triggers a memory, which you may otherwise not, not have thought of in a straightforward interview. So this setting, when you read the title focus group, you probably had a very specific picture in your mind of people sitting in a, in a circle or around a table and the recording device is in the center. 
By the way, tip, really important. If you're sitting around a table and a recording device sits on the table, place it on something soft or a stand. Otherwise, it will pick up every little bump and scrape across the surface of the table and will really distract you from your actual discussion, sometimes even make it difficult to hear. So that was my tip for focus groups, and I'm speaking of experience. While this is probably the most common setup, there is another way of going about it. If you want to focus on exploring actual group dynamics, for instance, in a classroom setting, you might want to run a focus group within the natural environment for this group. So this way, the participants might display behavior patterns they would usually do within this context, which can help understand group dynamics and improving inclusion of students who are usually at the margins in these situations. It can help you understand or explore where the louder person's opinion leads to an override of the quieter voices and give you a um, false impression of the opinions. Um, so, and the needs of this particular group. And these can be really interesting, but they can also be really challenging to A, manage and B, transcribe. Yeah, so if you if you think about it, if you get people together around the table as a quite a controlled environment, if you're holding this discussion in a seminar room, a classroom, um, you have people sitting together, how they naturally would sit together, and then it can become more difficult to manage. I have to say, I did this with teenagers in a school classroom, so that was really challenging. I think with our students, it might be easier, but it will really show you where the students are that are quieter, that are not participating, and it can give you a, a much more in-depth insight in the in the dynamics of this communication. But again, this depends a little bit of why you're using the focus group or the group discussion. You know, what to what purpose? What is it you want to understand? Do you really just want to get some questions answered? Or do you actually really want to look into these relationships and how the communications in that situation happen? So, um, how much questions are asked? I usually do not, do not see much point in running focus group with closed questions. Some people do this as an in-person questionnaire with a group of people. So, you know, when, when people basically just ask questions that have a yes, no, or kind of a sliding scale of how good or how bad something is. And... To me, that's not really a purpose of a focus group. It can be interesting when you do not necessarily want different viewpoints, but you want to analyze how people respond. So if, if the actual purpose of the focus group is not the questions being answered or how they are, but how they are uh, being answered, I hope it makes sense. So if you have these kind of closed questions in a focus group, um, you might want to do this if you want to observe how people relate to each other while they're answering and you want to observe all the unspoken behavior patterns more than actually getting the answers for the questions. So, um, and this might be interesting if you explore more challenging topics where participants might not be so forthcoming with their responses and you just want to find out if there is a there there that needs more that needs more in-depth. 
So then there's a difference between prompt versus questions. So prompts can be really challenging to develop while their purpose is to encourage the participants to speak and start a conversation. It can be easy to formulate them so that they steer the conversation in a particular uh, direction. So try using more Socratic inquiry approach to encourage conversations without introducing bias to the situation. And that can actually be really challenging. Questions should be opened and as unbiased as you can get them to be. Unless, again, it is all about the context, you want to intentionally ask strongly formulated questions to get reactions about certain topics. Tip there's another tip for focus groups. Depending on group dynamic, it can be really challenging to get participants, despite their voluntary attendance, to actually talk. I have found starting a focus group with a bit of small talk and icebreaker to find the smallest common denominator helps, but also to have some prompts for each of the questions. And this is, um, as a little side note, and this is where using other research methods might come in actually handy. So if you've had focus groups before and you found it really challenging to get your participants to actually talk about the things you you had wanted them to talk or encouraged them to talk about, um, using proxies for this communication can be really useful. And this is where, for instance, visual research methods or other creative research methods are coming into play. And this is something we can talk about later if you want to. So what else do we have? The researcher involvement in focus groups. As with participatory research observation, uh, participatory observation, sorry, there are various degrees of involvement in this conversation. The researcher can either be a full participant in the conversation or can try and start the conversation but then let it naturally develop after that. And there's all various levels of involvement in between. Um, we've had um, one of the issues we always talk about in terms of ethics applications for these kind, kind of things is that if you are a lecturer, a teacher in this situation and you're running focus group with your own students, you might want to do this after any of the marking you are involved in or any of the assessments you are involved in for these students are over or you might ask a colleague or a research assistant who are not involved in your course and not involved in marking these students directly to run these focus groups for you to avoid bias. However, there's also an argument to be made that some colleagues have um, sometimes very good relationships with their student cohorts and they do have a very open and uh, transparent relationship. So in that case, it might actually be useful to be the, the one who runs these focus groups. But these are all things you need to think about and you need to explain in your ethics application. There is no right or wrong of doing it. It is more about being aware of potential influences um, in that communication and to make them transparent and reflect on them and um, understand how they may influence how a conversation is going. So in that, you know, 
on, on that note, there are also different levels of power and control in a focus group. As an educator, so running the, the focus group with your students, the power disparity between the roles need to be considered. Running focus groups with peers will again change the group dynamic. Being a complete stranger to a group of participants might make it more difficult to build rapport and initiate conversation. So while this might be more ethical because you might withdraw yourself from that situation as someone who has in a power pos in a power position towards their students in terms of you know having to do the marking, having to do grading. Um, it, on the other hand, might make it more difficult for a stranger to come in to actually get the conversations going. So these aspects all need to be reflected and discussed in your methodology chapter and also in your ethics applications. And you need to really think about how you mitigate these different dynamics. So in your slide, and the space slide of week 13 under methods, there is the reference for... For focus groups, there's also online focus groups uh, by Abrams and Geyser in Fielding and Plank, the Sage Handbook of Online Research Methods. So you might want to look into online focus groups as this is probably something that is still going to happen this academic year.